Let's hear God's word from Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. Hear God's word. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. If you have food allergies, you know how difficult it can be to find food that is processed in a facility that does not have allergens in it. Maybe you read that on the packages, even if you don't have food allergies. According to experts, there are a lot of factors that go into making a place free of allergens. Things like the material flow through the processing plant, Segregation of areas, air handling, equipment selection, facility sanitation, and the hygiene of the personnel who work there. So if a line worker has a peanut butter banana shake for breakfast and comes to work, that could have far-reaching consequences in a facility that does not process tree nuts. The whole facility could, in some sense, become defiled. Not just contaminants from food, but contaminants from hair, clothes, shoes, and hands. These are all risks. These personnel have to be careful what they touch as they come in. Now, this is a very simplistic example of this purity that is being sought by these ceremonial laws that Jesus is confronting. This idea that in order to come into God's presence, one must be holy, free of contaminants, undefiled. The topic of our passage is ceremonial defilement and purity. Last week, Jesus addressed the Pharisees, and they had created this tradition of the elders, which isn't even scriptural. And Jesus was able to very easily show them how that does nothing for spiritual growth. And even today, he addresses the Old Testament ceremonial law, not just the tradition of the elders, but what we find in God's word itself. The Old Testament has lots of directions for how to approach God in his temple. It was believed that the temple is the place where God dwells, especially with his people. And that's how God revealed himself. And so as one drew to the mountain, he came closer to God's presence. And not just the mountain, but the temple mount. And then into the first chamber. And then on and further to the very center of the temple, the Holy of Holies. There are increased requirements for purity as you get closer. All these ceremonial purity laws were to image, to illustrate, to demonstrate for us a purity of heart that is required. 
a purity of heart that is required in the presence of God. A purity of heart that is indicative of God's set-apart people, different from the world. God's holiness cannot dwell with sin, even of the smallest kind. But the point of these laws was not to stop at the external demonstration of holiness. Instead, they were intended to point us deeper, to the heart level, to the core of our being, to see our need for holiness, even at the deepest level. The law that declared a man unclean when he comes in contact with a dead animal is the same law intended to draw that man's heart out of impure desires that lead to death. We're going to look today at the old demonstration of holiness in this ceremonial law. We're going to look at the new demonstration of holiness. And then we're going to look at the lived holiness. The old demonstration of holiness, the new demonstration of holiness, and then lived holiness. In this old demonstration of holiness, Jesus is confronting a poor understanding of the ceremonial law. He teaches with authority here as he has done throughout the book of Mark. And he uses an example in verse 19. He's talking about things that come from outside. There's this outside-inside dichotomy that Jesus is really emphasizing. He says in verse 19, Since it enters, those things that come from outside, enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. The Greek literally says, into the latrine. It's not a pretty image. Jesus is saying it's not about what goes into your body and then back out. Like these ceremonial laws can be made to mean so much more than they actually intend. Instead, it's about the inward conformity and the inward change and the inward love of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth acts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the wallet spins. Out of the abundance of the heart, anger waxes and wanes. Jesus uses a parable here. When we hear parable, we think of an extended story. This is a very simple one. He says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And even the disciples say, I don't understand this parable. Can you please explain it for us? Because this is a veiled explanation. It's similar to a metaphor. It requires a certain discernment to understand. And sadly, again, Jesus has to explain because there's misunderstanding. And in a very rare instance, Mark himself steps into our text and leaves us a comment in verse 19. Verse 19 in parentheses, it says, Thus he declared all foods clean. Mark doesn't do this often. Mark explains for us the point of the parable. All foods are clean. That seems to contradict the Old Testament law, and in fact, it does contradict the ceremonial law. Jesus is saying that ceremonial law is no longer binding. The point of the parable is that Jesus is shedding new light on the ceremonial law. He has declared it to no longer be binding on a person. So wait, can we now come into God's presence as corrupt people with allergens and defilements on us? Not at all. Jesus is not demeaning God's holiness. Instead, he's saying true holiness is not about what it sounds like. True holiness goes deeper. True holiness is holiness of the heart. The heart is the center of focus here for Jesus. 
It means the, the heart is the, the seat of emotion. It's the seat not just of our feelings as we think of it today in America, but the heart is also the seat of thoughts and desires. So Jesus is saying holiness is about what you love, what you think, and what you long for. The ceremonial law shows us in this old demonstration of holiness that really there is a deeper holiness that is being sought that is appropriate for God's people to draw near to him. A moral cleanliness, a heart cleanliness, an inward cleanliness. God even says in Hosea 6, 6, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God has always desired the hearts of his people more than just their actions. And David was confessing his sin famously in Psalm 51, and he said, you delight in truth in the inward being in Psalm 51. And then a few verses later, he says, you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God wants our hearts. So we have to ask ourselves, how are we trying to worship God? Are we trying to worship God with doing the right thing? By setting aside the right things on Sunday? Are we trying to sing the right verses to the right songs? Are we coming thinking that our efforts are going to make us worthy? If you think that your efforts are going to make you worthy to come into God's presence, you end up with one of two extremes. Either you're falsely confident, say, I did pretty well this week. I can come into God's presence now and he'll be pleased with me. Or you can despair because you're honest, realizing I have no worth to come into God's presence because of my sinfulness. That's what the old demonstration of holiness does. It shows us. It shows us how unholy we are or it shows that we have a hard heart. Let's look at the new demonstration of holiness. The ceremonial law, which we fail, was intended to point us to the moral law, the heart law. In the ceremonial law, again, we see that demonstration of the spiritual and internal realities that are supposed to guide Christians. And in Jesus now, we see a perfect fulfillment of the moral law and the ceremonial law. Jesus must become to us the new demonstration of what holiness looks like because he engaged at the heart level in submitting to his father and doing his father's will. He showed us the proper humble stance before the father. He took all the law and the prophets and summarized them into two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we look to Jesus for what this demonstration of holiness really is. And he did the father's will. And he obeyed. So we no longer need these ceremonial laws to set us apart, to demonstrate the holiness required to approach God. Jesus is the unblemished one. Jesus is the one standing before their very eyes in this passage who lived a holy life. He shows us a life of self-sacrifice and of love for God and for neighbor at the heart level. That's a sermon you could hear in almost any church if we stopped there. Jesus cannot be just a demonstration, can he? He can show us what holiness is. And at the heart level, we can see that we long to be like Christ. But if we're honest, we fail at that level too. 
We have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. I would be abusing Mark's gospel if I failed to mention that Jesus has to be more than a demonstration of what holiness ought to be. Because it's not good news. In fact, there's no gospel in the fact that the standard of holiness has simply shifted from ceremonial laws to the ceremonially clean Christ. Because we're still morally bankrupt. We don't live like Christ did. We are even less able to keep the moral laws than we are the outward laws. It's easy to fit in. It's easy to look good. It's hard to love the Lord our God. We might get an A or an A- minus on the outward test. We might wear the right clothes. We might have all the right answers to the catechism. We might pray with the right words. We might do our devotions every day. And brothers and sisters, these things are really good and helpful. But when we see that they're supposed to be affecting our hearts, and then we run our hearts through that test, do we really long for God's presence? This is a test I would fail. Have I really sought to know him and his word above all else? Have I surrendered control of my money and my job and my kids into the hands of God? Have I loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? Have I loved my neighbor as myself? In fact, what Christ has done is he has taken that moral law and even tightened it further during his ministry. Simply shows us that it cannot be success in keeping the moral law either that saves us. And we cannot hide behind our ceremonial or outward cleanness. Here's where the good news comes in. Even though we've failed at the ceremonial level, and even though we have failed even more disastrously at the heart level, Jesus reveals to us the only way of salvation. It's not by keeping any law. Look at Jesus. He fulfilled all the requirements of the moral law by loving the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and his neighbor as himself. He kept the Sabbath holy. He never lied. He never coveted. Can continue the list. Jesus also fulfilled all the requirements of the ceremonial law, which show holiness. He was the unblemished sacrifice offered for the sins of the people. He was the holy God-man who took on the uncleanness of those he came in contact with as he healed them. And in that ceremonial law, there were provisions that for those who offer sacrifice, their sins could be paid for. They could come into God's presence then. So in Jesus, there is the ultimate, in fact, the only effectual provision for sinful humans to come into God's presence and to be forgiven of their sins. Because Jesus, as the perfect, clean, spotless sacrifice, he stood in the place of his people. This is far more than a demonstration. It is the power of salvation, a substitution. This is how we approach God because we're in him. This is how we are actually made pure. Hebrews 10 addresses this head on. Hebrews 10.1 says, The law has but a shadow, a shadow of the good things. Instead of the true form of these realities. And he goes on in verses 11 through 14 of Hebrews 10. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice of bulls and goats, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, here's the good news. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
Jesus' sacrifice does not just show us what holiness ought to be. It gives holiness to those who are in him. Standing on our own, trying to earn our righteousness, we will have to cower as defiled, filthy, sin-laden outcasts if we try to come into Christ's presence, into God's presence on our own. But God has graciously removed these stains from everyone who surrenders them to Jesus by faith. Anyone who trusts in him to stand in his or her stead, when we are in Jesus, we can enter God's presence as holy people. Paul says it this way, and to the one who does not work, talking about the keeping of the law, to the one who does not work to earn his salvation, but to the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus given to us. So then to approach God's presence, to approach God's presence either in devotions or in prayer or on a Sunday, cannot be done by actions or good intentions or good motivations. We must only come in faith. We must only come depending on Jesus, looking to him, trusting that it is because of what he has done that God will welcome us into his presence. The Pharisees don't get it. Jesus calls them out. The disciples don't get it. Jesus has to explain But in our next two passages, we'll see, first of all, the Syrophoenician Gentile woman. She gets it. Then after that, the deaf man with a speech impediment, he gets it. These are things we're looking forward to. I'm I'm looking forward to getting to these passages, but we must stay in our passage for today. Will we get it? Our salvation comes by the perfect sacrifice, the God-man without blemish, whose blood was given for his sinful, criminal children. Yet anyone whose heart, mind, desires, anyone whose heart loves our God and receives and rests upon him alone for salvation will receive all the benefits of perfect law-keeping. This heart is also not something we earn. This heart is not something we have to conjure up. This heart is not a work. God gives us a heart of flesh. He takes the heart of stone out of us and he gives us a heart of flesh that we may know. Salvation is entirely a gift from our gracious God. That's the new demonstration of holiness and it's more than a demonstration. It's an offer of holiness. We've seen the old demonstration. We've seen the new offer of holiness. Now let's look at lived holiness. Jesus doesn't just get us a pass into God's presence. He doesn't just get us a pass into heaven. He doesn't just get us a stamp that gets us into the pearly gates. He also enables us to live as holy, set-apart people. He justifies us and he sanctifies us. Neither we live in our power or we live in his Either we trust the ceremonial law to cleanse ourselves and we trust in our actions to cleanse ourselves or we trust in Christ. To live in our power, it's kind of like counting calories. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. It's brutal. It's exhausting. Counting calories actually has some positive effect. Striving to obey the ceremonial law has no benefit for you. Not in terms of getting in to God's presence. 
But it does help with showing us what a life lived in God's presence looks like. This moral law to which it points shows us what our heart ought to be. We don't want to be whitewashed tombs like the Pharisees who were clean on the outside but rotten on the inside. Instead, we would like to see life flourish from the inside and then change from the inside out. Because it is from within. What comes out of a person defiles a person or shows the holiness that is there by Christ's presence. So let us then live in Christ's power. This is something that happens slowly, something that happens deeply. We, maybe you can look back at your life. When I talk about those cringe moments in your life where you wish you had just not done that or said that, sometimes those are issues of sin, sometimes they're not. Those cringe moments, those dark moments, You see the desires that you had in those times. You see where your heart was. I hope you can look back and say, I don't want what I wanted back then. I desire something more holy. I hope you can say that. I hope you don't look back at your life and say, I am just as selfish as I was when I was two and a half years old. I can't see past my nose any farther than I could in middle school. I don't care about people as any more than I did when I was born. I hope we cannot say those things. I hope we can say, I now delight in the Lord more than I did then. And God promises for those who delight themselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. And this takes time. This is slow. Sometimes it's not noticeable change. But look back. And see if you now desire what God desires more and more. Can you say with David, you love God's law? Is his word a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? Do you long to see God's kingdom go forth? Do you want to see people taken from the clutches of death and welcomed into God's presence? I hope we can look back and say, thank you, God, that I'm different. I no longer, no longer love the childish, greedy ways. Thank you that I no longer harbor bitterness towards so-and-so. Thank you that I no longer try to keep up with the lifestyles I see online, but I instead have a pure longing for the heavenly promise. I love this quote. It's short and it makes you think. How we live today is, of course, how we live our lives. What do you love today? Don't let that set the trajectory of your life because how we live today is, of course, how we live our lives. Not that there's no room for change, but the direction we set our heart toward today steers us. Is your heart set on Christ? Do you love his word? Sometimes it is that slow, gradual change, but sometimes it's also a willful, conscious decision in this moment to to forsake sin and to love what God loves. We've been told that love is simply a feeling that controls us. It wells up within us and bubbles over and we have to do whatever it demands us to do. That is not true. We have control over what we let ourselves love. And we can correct ourselves with the truth of God's word. God has given us means to do this. His word. Reminder through the meal every week when we witness a baptism, when we pray together, when we fellowship together. These are ways that we must take advantage of. But sometimes, by the Spirit's conviction and by Christ's power, we have to make a conscious decision right now to no longer sin, 
Because the things that come out of our heart sometimes are disgusting. And if they don't disgust us, we need to see what we're really loving. Notice the selection of heart defilements at the end of this passage in verses 21 through 23. This list is a representation of the Ten Commandments. A lot of overlap with the Ten Commandments. What is being said here? Jesus is reminding us the entirety of the moral law is what we want our hearts to love and to look like. I want to take these one by one. Evil thoughts can come out of our hearts. What's the heart condition that we ought to desire instead of the evil thoughts that come out? Well, heavenly thoughts. Do we ever think about heaven or talk about heaven? Do we ever celebrate with godly celebration? Do we ever really truly hate evil or do we entertain evil thoughts? Do you want to have thoughts as high as God's thoughts? Or what about sexual immorality or adultery as they are in this list? Instead, let's love our neighbor. Let's love God's design for marriage and for family. And let's love his image bearers. Instead of theft, which reveals a defiled heart, let us take hold of the purity that Christ is growing in us and let's have a heart of contentment and gratitude and humility even when things are difficult. Instead of murder, let's have a love for neighbor that surrenders grudges even if it costs us. All forgiveness costs the person who forgives. What about coveting and envy? Instead, let us have a pervasive attitude of learning, of receiving God's good gifts and rejoicing in the giver rather than just longing and lusting after the gifts. And instead of wickedness, our mindset needs to shift so that we elevate godliness over the debased tendencies of sinful man. And instead of deceit, let us value what is true and promotes justice and fairness rather than what is best just for our selfish promotions. And instead of sensuality, let's have a desire to see God's plan for relationships and marriages unfold according to his plan that exalts him that does not feed our own hungers. And instead of slander, if we slander, we see that we don't have a true love for neighbor and for family. Let us instead love them to the point where we only speak well of them and think more highly of them than we even do ourselves, even those who have wronged us. And instead of pride, I hope we have a humility that can truly say, this really is not about me. This whole life thing. I can lay down my rights. I can lay down my demands right now and realize I deserve nothing. Would that be said of us? And then foolishness. Instead of foolishness, I pray that we would have hearts that long for godly wisdom, that would guide and drive all of our living rather than following the babbling lies from within and from the world. Perhaps as we go through this list, we're convicted. I hope every single one of us is because our hearts are not perfectly in line with these. Hopefully more than they were when we first knew Christ. And that's why we look to Christ 
for our justification and for our sanctification. He's making us holy by his spirit whom he has given us. He has declared us to be righteous in God's sight because we are in him. And we will grow in that holiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Let us be people who look to Christ for salvation and who look to him daily to renew our desires and to love him more and more. Not just do the eye service, not just impress those around us, but let us be convicted when our hearts cling to this world more than they cling to our Savior.